Welcome to the Pacific Point Church Podcast, where we're learning to love and live like Jesus. During this half hour, we're praying that God will direct, encourage, and speak to you. If you would like to partner with Pacific Point Church and our church plans, visit us at pacificpointchurch.com give. At that same site, you can also watch and listen to previous sermons, read follow-up blog posts and extended notes, and even connect with Pacific Point Church on social media. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. We're in this series on Ephesians, and we've been spending the last eight years in it, so it's been a long haul, but uh, it feels like it in many ways, but it's, it's just so fresh, and, and um, it looks like I'm trying to get it so we, we'll end it right around uh, Easter or right before Easter, but there's been so much good stuff, and this, you know, what Paul is saying, a couple weeks ago, you remember Paul gave us a dire warning, he said, wake up church, wake up, wake up those of you who are not walking with Jesus, and he makes these statements that you may be sure of this, that everyone, everyone that rejects, everyone that's walking in sin won't inherit the kingdom of God, he says. But then last week, he very wisely gives us how we should walk. He talks about wise living. He talks about understanding God's will. He goes through a number of things that, that, that give us direction as a church on how to walk as Christians. You know, so many people ask, how do I walk? What does God have for me? Well, open up his word and get to know him and he'll direct you. He'll show you. See, uh, the church too, too, mu- too many times uh, doesn't want to open up this word and get to know Jesus. And it'd, it'd be like me wanting to marry my wife and not wanting to talk to her. Now, one day out of the, out of the month is all right. Yesterday was good. But, but when I see her tonight, I want to talk to her. I want to have some time with her. And that's what Paul is saying to us as Christians is to engage, is to encounter uh, the Father in a relationship. And this week, Paul goes very specifically into details about marriage and dealing. And, and there's a corollary here between Jesus and the church and a husband and wife and how those two and what they look like. And he talks, he starts off talking to wives and then husbands, and then he talks about the covenant of marriage and what that looks like. So l- let me pray before we get going here, because this is really an important uh, topic. They're all important, but this, what God's speaking. Father, I just thank you for this, this uh, scripture in Ephesians 5 and, and Paul's talking of marriage and wives and husbands and, and Christ in the church. Lord, let us have eyes to see. Father, I pray for healing this morning. God, in marriages where there's been hurt, in divorces where there's been hurt, in singleness where you think maybe I'll never get married, there's no hope. God, I pray healing right now, and I pray hope. Lord, I speak hope over marriages. And God, I thank you for who you are in our marriages. I pray restoration in our marriages. God, I pray for new marriages, fresh relationships for those who have been praying and asking. God, that you would move. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. What we have to remember when we look at this scripture, we're going to jump into it, is I want to set the foundation. The foundation is this, that from Genesis to Revelation, when we look at these scriptures, from the beginning of this word to the end of this word, the Bible lays a foundation upon truths. What does that mean? What does that look like? You can't fully understand marriage. Two weeks ago, we had a marriage, a week ago, maybe it was a week ago, we had a marriage conference in here and had, uh, I think there was 90 people. It was packed and just such a powerful time talking about God's word and what he means in marriage. But, but here's the deal. You can't fully understand marriage unless you understand covenant. See, this is one of the issues with marriage today, is marriage is a feeling. I fell out of love with them. 
I fell out of love with her. I fell out of love with him. And the reality is this. Marriage is not a feeling. Marriage is a choice. And when you choose, God is faithful to bring the feelings right behind it. Oh, I fell out of love because whatever the reason. It's not the case. See, it's a covenant. And you can't fully understand marriage unless you fully understand the covenant. But you can't fully understand covenant unless you have an understanding of God. Now, I I took out the fully understanding because you won't have a full understanding of God because he's God. He's other than. But you'll have an understanding when you understand covenant. Why is this so important? Covenant is the fundamental tool that God has designed to construct order and relationships with man. God makes covenant. Look, you and I are not so good with covenant. What we need to work on, we talk about all the time, is to close the gap between what we say and what we do, right? Who we are and, 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 and who we really are. And in covenant, what God does is literally, he cuts covenant with us. The original word covenant is a Hebrew word, and I'm not going to butcher that, but Shavah, which is also related to the Hebrew word number seven. Seven is a number of completion. It's the perfect number. And when you covenant or when you speak this seven times, it's completion and it is a covenant. It symbolizes this completion and perfection. If you don't have an earthly oath, you don't have a covenant. That is what I do is all about. When you stand up on the altar and you say, I do, it's a verbal covenant that you're making with your spouse that is ratified when you go with her or him later and you have sex. It is, it, is, it is ratified at that moment. That is covenant. That's what God calls in marriage. God also calls us into a covenant with his son. There's three covenants. The covenant God makes, there's more, but the, what we're looking at today. The covenant God makes with us through his son, Jesus. The covenant between Jesus and the church. And the covenant between a man and a woman. These three covenants, if we rightly understand the union between you and Jesus, when you take your life and you give it to Jesus and you realize that he gave his life for you, the blood of Jesus washing away your sins, when we rightly understand this union between Jesus and you, the covenant is ratified through the blood on the cross. That's what washes away my sins. That's my hope. It sits in the blood on the cross that I don't have to walk in condemnation, that I don't have to walk in guilt, but the blood of Jesus washes it away. Some of you today need the blood of Jesus to wash away whatever it is you dealt with last week. I need the blood of Jesus to wash away some of the stuff that I dealt with last week. That's the hope. It's the covenant that God gives us in his word. Second one between Jesus and the church. Jesus laid down his life for his bride, the church. Who is the church? You are the church. We have the church as a whole. We have the church, the one Catholic church. And I say that in, in, in not in denominationally, but, but in speaking as the church as a whole, God's church. And Jesus laid down his life for her. And it's a picture that he gives because the third covenant is this. When you rightly understand the miracle that takes place in marriage, blood is exchanged and we are to lay our lives down for one another. Uh, um, it, it, it's, let me show you. It's kind of graphic, but stay with me. This is PG-13. How are we doing in here? Blood is life. As blood flows, we talked about this in the marriage thing. As blood flows, it, it gives life. Jesus goes on the cross and exchanges his life 
for yours. That's the ratification of the covenant, the blood of Jesus. Got it? Does that make sense so far? Marriage. Now, when it's done the way God meant it to be done, we don't do that necessarily. But therefore, there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. If you didn't, didn't work it this way, God's grace is there. But the way that God meant it to be is for one woman to have not had a relationship with any man, to come with one man who has not had a relationship with a woman, to come together and stand before God and say, I do the oath. In Hebrew, the seven times, it's perfection. But they come together. And then when they say, I do, they come together intimately that night in the bed. When a woman's never been with a man before, you know what happens? Blood is exchanged. Do you think it's just randomness? See, the covenant that God meant for marriage is that there'd be this exchange that would make two become one. That's why marriage is so important. That's why we, we can't just look at these marriages. And again, I, 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 I don't want to, but I'm going to qualify it again. Therefore, there's no condemnation for those who have been divorced. Therefore, there's no condemnation for those who have, have been married more than once. That's not what I'm talking about here. What I'm hoping is as I talk about this, you go, okay, you'll start to get it. That we'll start to get it and we'll realize the value and the, the weight and the sanctity of this thing called marriage that God said was a covenant. It's, it's the weight of it that I want us to walk in, as God has called us to, so that, that marriage isn't just a throwaway. Uh, where's the next one? Who's the next one? I want us to hold the value, and if you're in a marriage right now, hold the value of that and what that looks like. Because in Genesis 2, it says this. We haven't even touched Ephesians yet, sorry. This is going to be a long day. Buckle up, I'll order in lunch. Don't worry, we'll be good. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took the one of the ribs that closed up the flesh of that place, and the Lord God fashioned into the woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. For this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh." The oneness of marriage comes through covenant. Comes through covenant. Here's the key. Equality and order. He took the man or the woman, not because this is, this is real important because, you know, we live in a, uh, can live in a chauvinistic, you know, man does and woman does and women should be pregnant cooking and, and serving me and I should sit in my throne and have my glass of wine and order around. Oh, it sounds so good. It's just not real. Why is it not real? No, I'm kidding. Here's, here's what it looks like. God, he took not the woman from his head, the man's head, lest she should rule over him, nor from his feet, lest he should trample upon her, but from his side, that he should be equal, that she should be equal with him, and from close to his heart, that she should love, he should love, cherish, and protect her. There's an equality here. But there's also an order that Paul's getting ready to talk about. Paul starts with wives, and then he turns to husbands. He starts with the wives in, in 22 and 24, and then he goes to the husbands in, in 25 through 31, and then he goes 32 through 33 in the mystery and the covenant. And we'll start here. He says this in, in Ephesians 5, 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands. 
This is what a lot of women just heard. <laughs> I'm telling you, when I do weddings, I love this part. Because I just, I'm like, wives, submit to your, I do it in every wedding. I use this because this is what the Bible says. And just about everything from that point, I lost the crowd of women. See, and, and that blah, 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 blah. That sounds like marriage, doesn't it? Um, that blah, 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 sorry, is, 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 is because we've taken Scripture and we've perverted it. Because, look, submission to your husband, Paul is drawing a parallel between the submission of the church to Christ, that Jesus is the head of the church and the church submits to Christ. It's not about inferiority. It isn't. It's not about being subservient, it, 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 but it's rather about a voluntary attitude of respect and honor and cooperation. Look, uh, in, in 30, 30, gosh, uh, tw- how old am I? In 27 years, I'm not 27, I'm not, I've been in ministry 27 years, 27 years of doing ministry and being, and I said this at the marriage thing, Chris and I, we have yet to meet a woman, yet to meet a woman who wouldn't lovingly and voluntarily submit to her husband if her husband's the man that God's called him to be. The issue isn't submission, the issue is the man not treating her the way God called her to be treated. And therefore, there's no submission. It's a vicious circle. But it's this respect and honor and cooperation. Submission is recognizing and affirming the husband's role as a leader and the head of the household. It's a godly order. Now, that messes with some people, too. It messes with some women in this culture, too. Oh, the order, godly order, husbands. That, no, 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 there's an order. God's a God of order. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. There's deference that is given to one another, but there's a very distinct order. It doesn't mean one's more important than the other. It doesn't mean one's less important than the other. But there's a, there's a distinct order in this word, God the Father, God the Son, and the God the Holy Spirit, in this perfect dance, as C.S. Lewis says, that give deference to one another and the power and authority that they walk in. That's marriage. That's marriage. See, the key, though, is submit as unto the Lord. See, because when, when you have this relationship with Jesus, when you get women, when you know Jesus as, as, as the one we see in this scripture that lays his life down to, that loves you, that cherishes and honors you, and you, you know, that you'll submit. The context of mutual submission and godly order, though. Wives submit to their husband, loving leadership. They're submitting to loving leadership, supposed to be submitting to loving leadership. Men, you're supposed to be loving in your leadership, just as the church submits to Christ, loving authority. It's, there's this, there's this dance that's happening that's supposed to be perfect in marriage. Now, it's not perfect because we're fallible human beings, but God's order is this, this dance that takes place. The key is loving leadership and godly order. What does loving leadership look like? Just a picture. Here's a couple things to honor. You know what my job is? To honor my wife. 
Treat her with respect, esteem, admiration, affirming her unique giftedness, her talents and contribution. To honor her in front of others. To not talk down to her in front of others. To not talk down to her in front of my friends. To not speak to her in a manner, this is very difficult, but I speak like this to everybody so I've got to watch it. I'm not, I speak loud and in your face, but it's not honoring to her. And at one point, about a month ago, month or three weeks ago, she's not here, so she can't, you can't fact check my story yet. Um, but we're talking and, and, you know, our kids are leaving the house and we're starting. She's like, look, here's the deal. She, very, very bluntly, she says, I don't know that I can live with you talking to me like that when all these kids leave the house. And, and she didn't mean, I'm going to leave you. She just said, wake up. That's what she was saying. That I need you to cherish and honor me with your words. That I need your words not to be so, in, I'm, I'm not in the hockey locker room. I'm in my home. And I try to make this home beautiful and, 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 and warm and, and, and inviting. And you come in and you make it rough and, and you're bull in a china shop. I'm supposed to honor. Loving leadership is to cherish, prioritizing her well-being over my own. Fulfillment, creating a loving and a nurturing environment where she can flourish in who God's called her to be. When, when, when I do that and I protect, bringing strength and support and stability, standing up for her interests and her rights, when I do those things, she willingly submits. Godly order, husband, wife, and kids. Husband, wife, and kids. God, husband, wife, and kids. There's an order. Ephesians 5, 22, 24, Paul goes on and he says this. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. He runs that parallel there. As his body and, his, and, and is himself its savior. Now the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands are the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Husbands is the head of the wife, here it says, in our leadership. Our guidance, caring for the body. This is what Jesus does for the church. The responsibility of men to their wives and Christ to the church run on these parallel tracks. It's healthy submission. The church submits to Jesus. Wives submit to their husbands. That's the parallel that Paul is talking about. Now let's, let's go a little deeper because then Paul turns to the husbands. So I do weddings, and I go, submit, and I go, hold on, hold on, hold on, because the first part that says submit sounds a little gnarly, but if we explain it, but if you just hang for a few minutes and get into the part of what Jesus and what God say to the, the husbands, you're going to like this. You're going to like it a lot. And Paul turns to the husbands in Ephesians 5.25. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What did Jesus do for this church? What did he do for you? He gave his life for the church. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love in this. While we're still sinners, Christ died for us. See, the role of a husband in a marriage, the two shall become one, the role of the man in the marriage is to die. That sucks. It's just not easy. Jesus laid down his life for the church. Men are to lay down their lives for their wives, for their families. But we have this, this 
this delayed adolescent men that are still playing video games in mom and dad's basement. We've got men that aren't willing to take responsibility. We have men that, that I, I, there's, I've counseled men that, that don't have jobs and their wives are having jobs, but the wives don't want to just have the job and the man's happy just, and I'm going, whoa, whoa, this is all out of order. God is a God of order. Men, we need to step up. We need to lead. We need to cover. We need to honor our wives. And I'm telling you we do that. I've yet to meet a woman, as I said, that wouldn't lovingly submit to you. Death is much more difficult than submission. If he gave you two choices, hey, submit to the king or die for the king. I'm going to, I'll submit. Death is very difficult. And I believe that, you know, I, that my thoughts and that's the reason that he says we've got to die and the way, the way that Jesus lays on life is because we're so stubborn as men. We're so stubborn. We just, we just dig our heels in and, and, and when we're right, we're right. And, and I, I, you know, often telling Chris, it's so hard to live in a world when with everybody's wrong and you're always right. <laughs> to which she just smiles and, and appeases me and pets me like a dog. I go, that, yeah, that's nice. Yeah, very nice, honey. You know, death is very difficult for me. In our marriage and our covenant that God has called us to, he calls us men to die. Paul says that you're called as a husband to lay down your life for that woman that God has called you to be with. He says he's calling us to lay down our own lives. How many guys do you know, though, you know, they get married and they come into their, it's, it's almost like the wife is just an add-on to what they were already doing. You know what I'm talking about? That doesn't work. <laughs> you know, don't get married if you're thinking she's an add-on. Don't get married if you're thinking he is an add-on. Get married because God calls you to be married, Paul says. But then when you get into this marriage, what happens is we see this picture of Jesus dying for the church, laying down who he is. And not my will, Father, but your will be done, giving his life for the church. In the same way, men, we need to be selfless. We've got to die to our selfishness. We have to die to our foolishness. We have to die to our football games and our video games. Well, I don't know why you're playing video games at 45, but die to it, okay? Uh, you've got to die to your, your you know, your, your uh, fantasy football. You've got to die to your golf. You've got to die to whatever it is. Now, I, I say that in the context of, of having, you know, conversations. And, you know, there's some things your wife's probably saying, go play golf. Please play golf. I need a break from you. And that's all right. The point is this. That I be able to look in the mirror and go, okay, God, what are you calling me to die to? That I might love her the way you've called me to love her as Christ loves the church. That, that's what Paul's saying. He, he goes on, he says this. He says, for no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherish it, cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of of one, uh, members of his body. I, I don't need a lot of time on this one because, it, you know, if some of you men would spend more time looking and gazing upon your wife or as much time looking and gazing upon your wife as you do and looking in the mirror and making sure everything else is together, that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, you guys, you guys have no problem doing your push-ups and doing your CrossFit and doing all the stuff that you do. Hey, I got to keep this thing together. Some of you. Uh, keep this thing together. 
<laughs> you caught that one? You just took you a second. A little slow today. Okay. Uh, but, you know, hey, I got it all together. Got to look good. Got to have the right thing on. And Paul says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, you have no problem with that. You go, That's how you need to be with your wife. That's what it needs to look like. And he continues. And he says, that he might sanctify her. This is really important, Paul says, because, the, again, parallels of church and marriage. He says this, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot, wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. This is such an important part of Scripture when, it talks, when we're talking about marriage. It's a very important part of Scripture when it talks about the church and Jesus. Because when he comes back, he's going to hand the church, his bride, to the Father, and she'll be without spot or wrinkle. She'll be as she's meant to be. But Paul clearly defines the hub, husband's job. What are the hus, what's the husband called to do? We're called to sanctify our wives. Uh, this... This process is, Chris usually sits there, it's, it's, it's to walk her in her holiness. Not that she doesn't have her own relationship with Jesus. Not that she doesn't, you know, she's not fighting her own battles, that she's not doing what. But, but there's something in the oneness of marriage of, of making sure that, that she's also walking, we're walking together in holiness in our lives. That, that she's being sanctified, sanctification, being, becoming more like Christ. That's happening in my house. That's what Paul is saying. Husbands, you better make sure sanctification is taking place in your house. Now, if you're living with an unbeliever, if you have someone that's maybe you're unevenly yoked and they're not so much, I get it. It's real hard sometimes. It's usually the wife that's trying to pull the man along to sanctification, but sometimes it's the other way around. But the Bible says very clearly, men, you're called to bring your wife into the sanctification process of becoming more like Jesus. You know what that means? That means this, men, you need to come to church. You know what that means? Men, you need to lead from the front. And when your kids say, oh, I don't want to go to church, say, hey, 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 wait a second here. We're going to church. You know why? Because we value this. If you have a relationship with Jesus and you believe what this word says, then you need to lead from the front. And for some of us, that means, hey, you're not going. I'm going. We need to bring sanctification into our homes. He says, how do we do that? By the washing of the word, the water of the word. Romans 12, renewing her mind, her soul, her spirit. How do we sanctify? What I just said, coming into this place, into a space called church, coming into small groups, being a part and being in relationship with others, coming to prayer, uh, reading your word, you know, encouraging her with the washing of the word, being at the front of your family and leading that your house might be cleansed by the blood of Jesus and the word that God puts forth. Speaking life in your home. Speaking life over your children. We wash. So what does he call us? He calls us to sanctify. How does he call us to do? The washing through his word. Why? So that we might present the church to himself in splendor without spot, wrinkle, or any such thing. That she might be holy and without blemish. What does that look like? Men, when you stand before God someday, you will present your wife to him. That's a little scary. Uh, if you're not married, think twice about marriage. It's a good thing, the Bible says. But don't just jump in it. 
just because. Because someday I will present my wife to the Lord. See, because God says when you find a woman, you find a good thing. I think I have that scripture coming up. And, and, and I'm accountable for that good thing, marriage. So I'll stand before God and say, what would you do with that good thing called marriage? And the question will be, will she be beaten up, bruised, head down, ashamed, hardened? Will, will, will I present a woman to you that I've, I've degraded, that I've spoken down to for 30 years, 40 years? Will I present a woman that has no hope in her heart to Jesus? Will I present a woman where I've smashed her dreams? Will I present a... Paul's saying, look, you're going to present without spot or wrinkle. Will she be clean without spot or wrinkle? Will she be refreshed or will she be beaten down because of the word and the fact that you, me, men, weren't able to stand up and be who God has called us to be in our marriages, that it might be an example to our kids, that it might change and bring hope to others. What will she look like as you present her to the Father? Or will she be without spot or wrinkle? Or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish? See, this, this covenant of marriage is, is, is so holy and we just throw it around like it's, ah, there'll be another one out there if this one doesn't work. And that sounds so flippant, but this, this covenant of marriage, don't step into it unless you're willing to walk in the faithfulness of that covenant. If you're already in it, maybe God's going, okay, let's, because Paul is, is saying very clearly and speaking very clearly in, in this scripture in Ephesians. And the reason he is, if you remember, throughout Ephesians, what, he's, what is he doing? He's talking about the relationships between, now he's at husband and wife, but, but other believers in our relationship with non-believers and what that looks like and how we impact people and the hope that we bring. And one of the greatest pictures of hope is marriage because of the parallel of Christ and the church. I got to be careful here because the reality is some people are walking in a marriage that's not as strong as they would like it to be, not as godly as they'd like it to be. And, and he's not where he needs to be spiritually or she's not where she needs to be spiritually. So in your mind, you're going, well, I'd love to do this if he would let me or if he would do it or if she would let me do it. And that's where the humility of, of prayer and others comes along. I told the story during uh, the marriage weekend. My father, um, he's with, as I said, with Chris right now, but um, 15 years of my life, wouldn't go to church. 14 years of my life, wouldn't go to church. Just refused. And my mother never beat the hell out of him. I know in her, you know, it, it broke her heart. That you go, okay, Renee, John, let's go. We're going to church, and Dad would be on the couch watching football or whatever, and, and whatever. And for 15 years, she just stayed the course. She just stayed the course. And the Holy Spirit got a hold of my dad and changed his life. Some of you out there may be trying to beat Jesus into your husband or your wife. You can't do it. And my encouragement to you is just stay the course and pray and be the light 
that God calls us to be in this word. And watch what he might do. It's probably not in your timing, but God is faithful. God is faithful. I want to present Chris to the Father without spot or wrinkle. And for me, part of that means the way I speak. My anger. For me, it's dealing with that. It's hard. But I want to present her to the Father. And, and Paul very clearly tells us how. Proverbs 18.22 says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. So please hear me when I, if you're single or whatever. I, marriage is such a good thing. I guess the balance of what I'm trying to say is don't enter into marriage just flippantly. Know that this Bible speaks of it as being a covenant. And if you understand your relationship with Jesus, you'll understand your relationship you're supposed to have with your husband or your wife. And it's a good thing. And Paul continues, he says, Therefore... A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and to the church. Paul is reiterating what God said in Genesis. He said, we read it in the beginning, Genesis 2. It says, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave or shall be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. It's, it, these, two, these two specific things he's saying is to cut the ties with your parents and this profound mystery. Number one is to cut the ties, leave and cleave. He's saying, leave your father and mother. Leave your parents. Go do a new thing. There's a new family, a new order that's taking place. And for, for some of you mama's boys, you need to get out of there. And, and I, I'd be in one of them with my mom. I, you know, when I, 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 we just had a close family. I'd talk to my parents. I'd talk to my mom just about every day before she passed. I'd talk to my dad all the time, you know. It's, it, and, and when we got married, Chris and I, you know, um, it was rough for a little while because I wasn't good at this leaving cleaving. See, you know, my mom used to fold my shirts like she worked at the Gap. Oh, that's flipping good. Chris, not so much. And being the idiot that I am, I thought I was being a blessing. I started taking my laundry to my mom's house. Come on. Come on. I thought I was being a blessing to her. Not so much a blessing. Leave and cleave. You know, uh, to her credit, she at, at a later point went to my mom and figured out how to fold them just like that, which is unbelievable to her credit. But there was a, a run in there that it wasn't the gap. Okay. So, um, leave and cleave. See, God does something new. That doesn't mean your parents aren't still part of your family, but the family now starts here with man and woman, husband and wife, a new order, a new family. Cleaving, holding fast. This part of the statement emphasizes the idea of, of holding fast to one's spouse, to starting something new that God is doing. And then he says this profound mystery. This mystery highlights the beauty and the significance and, and the sacredness of marriage and the reflection of the divine relationship between Christ and his church. This, this mystery of marriage of two becoming one. It, this, this mystery of one plus one equals one. 
See, in too many marriages, we still think one plus one equals two. And when God does something, when we look at his godly order, Paul says this, when you look at Christ in the church and Christ's commitment to the church and, and his, his heart to, to wash and cleanse and, and, and it to be righteous and her to be righteous, his church, and it's the same picture that he gives for us in our marriage and marriages and what God has called us to, that you're no longer two, but you're, you're one in Christ Jesus. And there's this, this, this mystery that you can't explain. Something happens in that consummation of marriage, in, in a relationship, in sex between a man and woman. Something mysterious happens. That's why when, when you, gosh, First Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians talks about when you, when you sleep with someone who's not your wife, you, you take a piece of them that you can't righteously fulfill. And, and when you come into a relationship and marriage, two become one, and there, there's something that happens. When you have just this free sex, there's no such thing as free sex, and you sleep with him or her or her or him, you, each time you take a piece of them that wasn't meant for you, that was meant for a man or another woman that God has called in marriage. God doesn't say, don't have sex because he wants to ruin your fun. God says, to save it for the woman because something mysterious happens. Something beautiful happens. Something incredible happens. That's what Paul's saying right here. That's what Paul's talking about. He finishes in 33. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Love and respect. Love and respect. The great need for my wife is to be loved under the context of what we talked about. Cherished, covered, uh, protected. She doesn't have this great need for respect, although there's respect there. But the way that God wired her was for this love need. There's a great book called Love and Respect. Highly recommend it. But he talks about this. The great need in the woman is, is to be loved, to be cherished, to be covered. I don't have a great need to be cherished, loved, and, and covered that way. But I can tell you, I have this, this I, I want to be respected. See, and men want to be respected. Women want to be loved. And, and when a man doesn't love a woman well, over time, she doesn't respect him. And when she doesn't respect him, he's definitely not going to love her. And when he doesn't love her, she's not going to respect him. And the next thing you know, you have this crazy circle. No love, no respect. That someone's got to step out of and go, whoa, 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 whoa. See, Paul says that this is the way that God has wired us. Women, you want to want to know why some, sometimes your man is just out to just, ah, it's because he doesn't feel the respect that God's called him to in his own home. Men, you want to know why your wife isn't sleeping with you many times? You want to know why things are a little rough at the house? Because you're not cherishing, honoring, covering, and protecting her so that she feels secure. Love and respect, Paul says. He finishes chapter 5 with this. I love how he writes because he just, he takes this, this Bible that some people, I don't understand the Bible, I don't understand the Bible, I just, I, you know, and just makes it really plain and clear. And if we just read it and 
unpack it, you'd see something that maybe you didn't see before. Jesus in the church, husbands and wives. That's the comparison that he gives. That's the picture that Paul gives us in this letter at the end of chapter 5. I, I highly recommend you go back and read it again because there's so much in it. I mean, I just washed over it, but there's so much in it. There's so much going. If you're getting married, you need to get into, you need to get in chapter 5. If you're married, and uh, you need to get in chapter 5. In fact, everybody, you need to get in chapter 5 and just sit and wrestle and, and read and, and, and pray through it because it's really good. Let's, let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time this morning, God. I thank you for your word. Lord, for, uh, Lord, marriage is your idea. God, you're the one who came up with uh, marriage. God, I thank you. As your word says, when a man finds a woman, he, he finds a good thing. He finds favor with you. So, Lord, even as, as Paul uses this picture of, of Christ in the church and husband and wife and, and shows the parallels and how we're to act and how we're to respond and how we're supposed to uh, do all that, God, I thank you that you give us this picture. God, I pray for marriages in here today that you'd strengthen. God, I pray that, that husbands would lead as you've called them to. I pray that husbands would cherish and love and protect as you've called them to. I pray that wives would respect. Lord, even if, if, if he's not leading the way you've called him yet, God, there'd, there'd be a respect. And that you would do um, miracles in our marriages. God, I pray for those who aren't married yet but want to get married. God, I pray that they wouldn't uh, compromise, that they wouldn't just, just settle for anything. But God, you would make it abundantly clear when you have a mate for them. God, I pray for those who are divorced. Maybe they have no hope to get married. Maybe they just don't want to get hope. God, I pray that there's complete healing. And Lord, if there's someone else in the picture, God, that you would uh, make that abundantly clear. And you, should, you would place hope in their hearts. And God, I pray for those who have been hurt in a marriage, have been betrayed. Oh God, I pray healing. Lord, and as we see as, as men are supposed to act, God, I pray that you put hope in the hearts of women who weren't treated that way, who have no hope. That you'd place hope in the hearts of men who weren't respected and that they would have hope. Jesus, I thank you that you give us the picture of what that looks like as you love your church. I thank you for this time this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, as we stay in this, this attitude of worship, it's the time that we receive communion. And communion, as we say, it's, it, it's just, it's a holy time. And what I ask is if you have a relationship with Jesus, the Bible says that this is the time that you come and receive the bread that represents, or the wafer that represents the body of Christ and the wine that represents his blood. But before you come and receive, that you'd examine your own heart. That you'd look and you'd see, is there anything in there I need to deal with? Is there any unconfessed sin? Is there any uh, brokenness? Is there any unforgiveness? Is there any bitterness? Maybe towards a spouse maybe towards a boyfriend or girlfriend, whatever it is. But examine your heart. And then as you come, the Bible says this, that Jesus took the bread on the night that he's betrayed and he broke it. 
He says, this has been broken for you that, that you might have life in your brokenness. And then, then he took the wine that represented his blood and he said, this represents life. And when you receive this, know that you're forgiven. Know that it's washed away. Know that, that any unforgiveness, bitterness, all that stuff, can, you can just wash it away, the blood of Jesus. So as you come and receive this morning, just take a moment to examine your heart first. See what my God might speak to you. Father, I thank you for uh, the elements and that we can enter in. And Oh God, thank you for forgiveness. I thank you for the blood of Jesus that washed away my sin that I might have life. Even in my foolishness, God, you give me life. In Jesus' name, amen. After you receive, um, if you just, it's not a time to talk. It's still a, a holy moment. If you just come back to your seats and finish in this worship, and then we'll finish up the donuts and call it a day. But thank you for, for worshiping with us today.